this morning and we acknowledge and remember that our worth is not in what we own. Our worth is in in the gift we have been given in Christ Jesus. We, we know that we are unworthy in and of ourselves, but in Christ we we have been, been, been deemed worthy of His sacrifice for us. As we open Your Word this morning, may it grow us in the knowledge of Christ. May we grow in the grace of living as Christ, like Christ, for Christ. Father, bring us to a place of humility before Your Word. Pray Your Spirit would move and work to sanctify and save Your people. For all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Today is January 1st, the year of our Lord, 2023. And it's interesting that even the words, the year of our Lord, we don't say that often. It used to be said lots, but there's a reason it's the year of our Lord, because the center of all creation, of all time, is Christ Jesus. And the year we even spout out of our mouths is based upon the life of Jesus Christ. So it's another new year. It's a time when many people, uh, I think all of us at some level, take a pause and consider where our life is and what's what's happened and what's going to come up. Um, we, we think about how we want things to be different maybe this year than last year or what we uh, hope we'll, we will accomplish in the new year. Uh, things that will happen in the new year. And I think, you know, we've, I've talked in years past, I think New Year's resolutions are, I think they're silly, uh, but I understand that this is a time when people think about the calendar flipping and so we're thinking. And it's always good to be thinking. Every day we should be resolved to live our lives to the glory of God. Um, there are, there are a few things. I mean, this is a, this is a very short list of things that I know will come to pass in 2023. I know that I know one thing. I know that the only reason there is a 2023 is because all of God's elect aren't yet saved. Until all of God's elect have been redeemed, time as we know it will continue. And when the last of God's elect are redeemed, that will be the return of Christ. So, because of that, I know this, I know where to play, proclaim the gospel. Uh, I know that we as Christians will be tempted to sin. And I know that God has given us a way out through the power of His Spirit and His Word and the example of Christ. I know that uh, we as Christians will be persecuted. At what level, I don't know, but I know that that will happen. I know that I know that Christ will be interceding for his own this entire year. He will be interceding for his own every day all year. I know that I know that nothing can separate God's people from his love. I know that. I know that uh, all of God's people will be sanctified this year. 
we will be made to think more like and be more like Christ. And that will come through trials and temptations and persecutions and joys and all different ways. But I know that we will be being sanctified. We don't have to resolve to do that. That's going to happen. Praise the Lord. I know that prayer works and that we should be a people of prayer. I know that we are to love God and love people. And that's something that we will do and must do in the new year. And kind of on top of the first thing I said, I know that the gospel saves. And I know that the word sanctifies. So we ought to be a people of the word. We have to be a people of the gospel to ourselves and to those around us. And um, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. So I don't know. You can, you can make New Year's resolutions, I suppose, and maybe they would empower you in some way. And I suppose it doesn't really matter if it's a January 1st thing or a June 14th thing. But anything that would have you to be resolved to know who God is and live your life to serve him and please him, and if, if weight gain or working out has anything to do with that, great. If it doesn't, don't bother making a resolution about it. Okay, open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We'll be in verses 34 through 39 today. We are going to see the responses to the power of Jesus today. So please stand and I'll read verses 34 through 39. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You may be seated. We are going to continue to consider today what God did what Jesus did for this this former demoniac. And we're going to consider how the, the masses responded as compared to how this recipient of God's mercy responded. Uh, it is It is my hope and prayer as it is every Lord's Day that we would be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Christians and that and that God would be kind to save some today. So, to set the scene back where we are, where we've been in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had gotten onto a boat. Uh, He was tired because he's been doing lots of ministry, lots of crowds. He gets on a boat to go to the other side side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. He gets on that boat with his, probably, we don't know, but we know his disciples were there. But probably that traveling party he was with, the disciples and the women that were with him, the boat would have been the size to hold maybe 15 to 20 people, most probably. 
And we know that he was tired and that in his humanity he was sleeping. Uh, we talked about he was resting in the sovereignty of God, on the pillow of God's sovereignty. He was in the boat sleeping and a big storm came. And this big storm came and up to 10, uh, 10 foot high waves, 50 mile per hour winds. Quite a storm for this, this tiny little boat. And that when the storm came, the disciples became quite afraid. They thought they were going to perish. And, and they woke Jesus and said, we're perishing. And he, he awoke and he got up and he, he hushed the wind and the waves. He, he actually stopped weather dead in its tracks with a word. The storms calmed and they sailed on. And they sailed to uh, the shores of the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And there, when they got there, Jesus encounters a, a man. A man who is naked and homeless, violent, uh, recalcitrant. He's screaming. He's self-mutilating. Cuts himself. This man who is possessed by thousands of demons. And Jesus delivers him delivers the demons out of him and tells the demons to go in a herd of pigs and the pigs then plunge to their death into the Sea of Galilee. So that's where we are. Jesus on the shores of the country of the Gerasenes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee away from Capernaum and Bethsaida and where he, Galilee, where he was from and where he's doing ministry. And now we're on those shores and this demoniac has now been delivered from the demons. And again, the, I suppose, extra biblical, but I think real picture of this man now sitting there with this burden off of him. Uh, delivered, obviously delivered with these demons having been gone out of him, entered these pigs and these pigs plunging to their death. It's quite a scene. Brings us into today's passage when the herdsmen, now the herdsmen were these men who were watching these pigs. They would not have been their own pigs. They would have been somebody else's pigs. They were herdsmen. They were, they were the, the shepherds, if you will, of these pigs. But remember, we're in a Gentile land. We're not in uh, Israel anymore. We're not in Galilee. We're in a Gentile land on the east side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And these herdsmen, they're watching over these pigs, and, and they saw what had happened. They saw this amazing thing that we looked at last week. They witnessed this man, this crazed lunatic, becoming different. Demons leaving him. Jesus interacting with these demons. Entering the pigs that they were hurting. And then watching these pigs plunge to their death. The herdsmen, they flee and tell. They flee. Fuego to run away, to flee, flight, to move quickly from a point or area in order to avoid presumed danger or difficulty. These herdsmen left. They fled. They ran away. They were afraid of either danger or difficulty. Now remember, they're accountable for these pigs, so they could be afraid of the consequences, but what we know is they fled. This word fled is the same word we see uh, that we used it in Acts 7.29, Moses had killed an Egyptian. And then when somebody came and said, you're going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian. So he had been, he had been outed as an Israeli, uh, an Israeli sympathizer. As this retort, Moses, at this retort, Moses fled. 
and became an exile in the land of Midian. Acts 27.30, the, the boat, the ship that they're on with Paul that's going to sink as, as the slaves were seeking to escape, flee from the ship. So these herdsmen, they fled. They fled in fear. They ran away. They went away quickly. They were afraid of some danger or difficulty. They, they, they were out watching these pigs. They knew of this naked, homeless, violent man. They, again, they, they, their pigs were near where this man lived among the homeless, among the tombs. Remember, this, this man would not let people pass by or these men. They would not let people pass by. So these herdsmen would have known of this, this demoniac and probably been on the lookout for him. They, had, they would have witnessed all of these things. They had watched Jesus interact with him. They watched the demon legion talking with him, and then thousands of demons entered the pigs and watching them go to their death. So they fled, and they told it. They told it. They announced it. They, they, they brought forth. They went and they told in the city and in the country. So that didn't happen like in five minutes. They fled and they went around telling the people in the city and the countryside of what had happened. They, they gave testimony. This was big news. This was a big deal. So try to put yourself in the place of these Gentile pig herdsmen watching this take place and watching your pigs that you're watching plunge to their death as these demons entered them. That was kind of a big deal. They fled and they told, look, not our fault. This guy named Jesus, this guy came, got off a boat, interacted with this demoniac and kills our pigs and goes and starts telling about the crazy man and the dead pigs. Then when the herdsmen saw what had happened. They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So we're going to see, they see the results of Jesus' power to save. Now, in the text, in verse 36b, the second half of verse 36, it said the demoniac had been healed. So why do I say saved in point number two? Well, the word used here is so-so. And the word so-so has three different meanings. Two are kind of tied together, but it can mean rescue from danger. It can mean to save or deliver into divine salvation. So what we think of as the word salvation, that's how so-so is used. Or it can mean to heal or to make healthy from an illness. Now, in, in the New Testament, in Luke's writing in particular, the word so-so is used almost exclusively of someone being saved into the kingdom of God. Their soul being saved, as opposed to being healed from an illness. There's other words that get used for that. As Luke is describing Jesus' work earlier in his gospel, after Jesus had chose the twelve and he began this more widespread ministry back in Luke 6, he says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place, the great crowd of his disciples, 
and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came near him to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Well, the world therefore healed that Luke uses in both of those cases where it's healed is eomai. And that word is to cure or to heal also, but used more in the sense of curing or healing from diseases. When, when John the Baptist, uh, his disciples had returned, remember they, they came back to John the Baptist to report what was going on, all that Jesus was doing, and then they, they went back out to see Jesus again. We see this in Luke 7, in that hour he healed many people of disease and plagues and evil spirits. On many who were blind, he bestowed sight. There the word is therapoeo. It's where we get the word therapy from. It means, again, to heal or restore to health. So these words all mean heal, but the words Luke uses for the healing of these people of diseases is therapoeo in Luke 7 or ieomai in Luke 6. Um, When he's describing Jesus' traveling party in chapter 8, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, again, he uses the word therapoeo. So here, though, he uses the word sozo, which is, again, mostly used for the salvation of souls. Now, from the perspective of these Gentile herdsmen who are telling this story, they would would have no understanding of that. They would simply see a man who was made whole or rescued from danger. They would have known nothing of salvation, uh, but they, they would have known of God, by the way. Let's not forget they know who God is. And they, they, they suppress the truth of who God is in their unrighteousness, don't they? Because, you know, that's true of all mankind. Uh, so this, this, these herdsmen probably go back and give some kind of a testimony of this, this crazed maniac that's now healed, that's better, and the pigs are dead. So what's happened? This 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 dude that you all know about, because he was been well known. Remember they tried to they tried to bind him in the cities and they couldn't bind him and he would the the uh, the demons would take him back out to where the tombs were. So they would know of this man. I didn't have a good analogy, I don't know, but Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean people that they knew about this man. He wasn't a mystery. They all knew about him. And so the herdsmen go in and say, Hey, Weird dude is not weird anymore, and the pigs are dead. So, then the people go out to see for themselves. And what do they find? Then people went out to see what had happened. What had happened was, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. So, they came out for themselves now. People, a large mass of people uh, from the other Gospels we know, people in the city and the country. Lots of folks came out based on the herdsman's testimony to see what had happened. And when they get there, they find the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Think about this now. As I screamed last week, as we tried to paint a picture of how this, this man was naked, he was un, unchainable, he was, he was a screamer, he was a cutter, he was a violent man, he was crazy. 
I mean, it'd be the kind of person, if you saw him from three blocks away, you would definitely go the other direction. Like, you don't, you don't go near this guy. This guy is crazy. You know, we see people on the streets that, 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 that behave in ways that are demonic, probably, but drunk high, and they just are crazy, and you just don't want to go near them. You're afraid of them. Well, these, these people were, they knew who they were going to see. They were going to see crazy dude. And so they go out to see him, and what do they see? They see him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just listening and learning so he would know how to live. No longer violent and screaming and cutting, sounding like a a crow or a raven, not allowing people to pass by. No longer that. Here he is, humbled and subdued before Jesus. That crazy person is completely chill. And they see that he's clothed. He's no longer naked. Very quick sidebar, because again, it's extra biblical where the clothes come from. He was ministered to by the people that were with Jesus in some way to give him clothing. But these people come out, and again, it could, have been, it could have been days. It probably was days. It wasn't five minutes. But when they come out, they see this crazy dude who used to be naked. Now he's sitting there in all humility before Christ with clothes on. And he's in his right mind. So for Neo, to be in one's right mind, to be sane, to think straight, to reason correctly. Again. You go out to see crazy dude that's certifiable, straitjacket nuts, and he's normal. Like he's normal, like he's humble and calm, he's got clothes on, he's reasonable, he's sane. This a what happened? How do we how do we get from that to this? So so these Gentiles don't know anything of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they are seeing a completely new man. A totally different creation. This is not, it's the same guy because I can see him. Seen him before. It's the same guy, but something's dramatically different. He'd been saved. That was different. He'd been saved and he was notably different. And I want to make a brief pause here to say not every one of us was, none of us were probably possessed by 2,000 demons. Some of us may very well have had demon possession at times in our life. All of us were under the sway of the devil, there's no question. We looked at that last week. And what's true of us when we become saved is we are different. But try not to measure your difference against a demoniac with 2,000 demons. So I, I, I don't know that uh, I had a different life than Brenda. 
So when I came to salvation, my life was markedly different. You, you would have seen me like crazy dude and said, what happened? That's not the same guy. I was more sane and had clothes on. I was sober. I loved my wife. and Whatever else was true of what God did in my heart. And that's true of everyone who is saved. And I don't want you to, I don't want us to ever pass off, well, no change but I'm saved anyway. That's not biblically accurate. But I also don't want to measure everyone's salvation to the 2,000 demoniac man. That's drastic. I, I think about Josiah, who I believe to be my brother. I didn't see a lot of demons crawling around that dude, but if you'd seen me at that age, you'd have seen more demons. You'd have seen something different. But if Josiah, and because Josiah is actually a Christian, then he is different. He is different. And this is what they're seeing. They're seeing this crazy dude that now is normal. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. This guy had self-control. The cutter, the screamer, the violent man, he had self-control. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He was new. I don't have anybody necessarily in mind when I say this. It just seems like I should say it. If the supernatural, miraculous work of Jesus Christ has been done in your life and you've been delivered from the bondage of the of your flesh and of the devil, then then you are a new creation. There is no such thing as being a Christian that's no different. There's no I've always been a Christian. It doesn't it's not it's not real. Again, not all two thousand demons, not all that crazy naked cutting, but you must be different. If you're no different, then the work of Christ has not been done in your life. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Here's this new creation, and what's he doing? He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's he doing? He's listening, and he's learning, and he's seeing how to live. He's sitting at the feet of, these words are said with nothing in mind. Sitting at the feet of means he's sitting there learning from him in humility. This is what the people witnessed. Ephesians 4.22, to put off your old self. His old self was nutty, wasn't it? Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What this former demoniac was doing was putting off and putting on. What had happened to him was was promised in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what happened. This is what Jesus did. Jesus delivered him, took out his heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. 
This man who had been under the control of a legion of demons. Jesus saved him. He rescued him. He was different. This is what salvation does. It brings a new life. And then if you witness this, as these Gentiles witness this, knowing crazy dude and then seeing how he is now, who does this? How does this happen? And what's the deal with our dead pigs? When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Phobeomai, to be afraid of, a state of fear, be alarmed. These people, the Gerasenes, from the country of the Gadarenes, they were afraid. And they're afraid. And what happens now? And those who had seen it, so the herdsmen now, who had gone in and gave him this brief description, and they come out and they see for themselves what's happening with this guy, and no pigs, and, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Now they tell him, here's how it happened. Here's what happened. When Jesus saw, when he, the demoniac, saw Jesus, he cried out, Nah! And he fell down before him. And said with a loud voice, remember megaphone, with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? This is now what the herdsmen, this is what happened. This crazy dude fell down at the feet of this other dude that got off the boat, and the other dude that got off the boat, he called him the Son of the Most High God. I beg you, do not torment me. For he, so this guy that got off the boat, he told demons to come out of this crazy dude and then and then this demon came out of this crazy dude and started talking turns out it was 2,000 demons and then what happened was they went over and got into the pigs and the pigs died that's what happened and how do they respond how do the people respond to this story this, this testimony of what had happened. The response of the masses, again, the word there, plethos, it's a multitude, a great number. This is a lot of folks that came out from the city and the country. This is a, all the people, if you will, not all as far as every single person, but a lot of people have come out. This is a large group of folks. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, please help us all this way. They asked him to depart. Hold up. Hold up. Crazy dude is normal. This guy that got off the boat had something to do with it. He had called him something about son of the most high God. And you want him to leave you alone? Well, yeah, he killed our pigs. See, they they were seized with great fear. Fear of what? I suppose, I 
suppose there was a level of fear about this dude that got off the boat who could control this crazy dude that we could not control. We couldn't bind him. We couldn't keep him. This, this guy subdued this guy. He ought to be feared. So there could have been a fear of the power of God. Because if he can do that to him, what can he do to us? But I think, look at Mark's gospel and just look at the, the text. We see this emphasis on the testimony has to do with the pigs. Mark five sixteen and those who had been had seen it, again, the herdsmen, they described it to them, the masses of people, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. I think what we don't want to miss is that the magnitude of the loss of 2,000 pigs to this group of people. These herdsmen had lost 2,000 pigs to the work of this man that got off the boat today. I mean, maybe this dude that got off the boat Help this crazy man not be so crazy, but he killed 2,000 pigs. It's a lot of innocent pigs. You know, we chuckle, but there are those who actually think this way. That's a lot of innocent pigs. They probably had a save the swine campaign that started in that area. And we'll chuckle. But it's what we do, isn't it? You know, Jesus would have known of no world that makes it a violation of the law to touch an eagle egg and kill 3,000 babies a day. He would not know of that world. It's probably a good place. See, how dare... How dare Jesus kill all those pigs? Some might actually have that type of reaction when you actually think about the story. I can't verbalize it well enough, but picture your 2,000 pigs, your pet pigs going to their death. It is not the same. I have a dog in my house, but imagine 2,000 of our pet dogs going to their death because some dude killed them. Seems like a decent place to consider the doctrine of animals that we see here and throughout the Bible. Let's start at creation. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So it is accurate that all the cattle are gods. It is accurate that Jesus can do whatever he wants with these pigs. But it's also accurate that these pigs are not made in the image of God. Which of God's creation is more valuable? 
man or beast. One made in his image. And one also is made to have dominion over the other. Look, honestly, if you try yourself, just make sure that you're not really kind of mad about the 2,000 pigs. In Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now to the ground the Lord had formed, had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Why did Adam name all the animals? Because he had dominion. Because he had dominion. God says, you name them. So he names them all. Man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Listen to that. Animals are not man's best friend. They're not your companion. Now, animals, especially in this culture, this day and age, they provide some comfort for lonely people. Okay, fine. They can do that. But they don't have the value of the people that aren't comforting them. Shame on us if old people in our life have to get their contentment from an animal when you're there. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up in his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Why? So it was a helpmate suitable. So it was another human being made in the image of God. Animals are not as important as human beings. Now, Scripture is clear, however, that we are not to be cruel to animals nor disregard them. They serve a purpose. Proverbs 12.10, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. You have an animal, you should have regard for him. Proverbs 27, 23, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And I don't really want to go off on a tangent, but animals here are different than animals now for us in this culture, in this country, for most of us. Very few of us have animals for the purposes of creating income or food stuff for us. Quite frankly, they create outpour and outflow of food for us. They actually have dominion over us more often than we have dominion over them. They actually tell me when I'm going to pick up poop off the floor. They actually do, because I just had to do it the other night with the puppies that were in my house. My son's puppies were there, and we have to pick up. I get to do, I get to, I get to be under the dominion of these two little creatures. And again, I, I don't, I don't want to overstate this, but I don't want to understate it either. Jesus killed 2,000 pigs, put them to their death for one measly stinking lunatic. Jesus was cruel to animals. Jesus Jesus should never treat animals that cruelly. Look, here's what's clear from this text. Jesus valued the life of one man, one lunatic, 
One guy was cutting himself and naked and vile and screaming and animal-like in his behaviors. He preferred him over 2,000 pigs. PETA is not a Christian organization. Jesus would know nothing of cruelty to animals for how we raise them to eat them. No, they're being raised to eat because that's what we have, dominion over animals to raise them to eat them. Well, they shouldn't be in such small cages. Why? They're for my consumption. Now, they get shot with hormones they ought not because that's not good for me, but that's how they're raised is irrelevant. Unless you're the one intentionally being cruel to them out of a wicked heart, that's what they're there for. And you're more valuable than they are. Now, something else to consider about these pigs. This, this loss of 2,000 pigs in the healing of one man. Something else we might miss in this. Because we don't live in a gregarian economy, really. Brother Cal's tied to commodities and such, but he doesn't own a bunch of cattle or pigs. But we just don't, we just don't really live that way, so we don't really understand how, how economically tied to the livestock these folks would have been on the east side of the, the Sea of Galilee. These Gentiles would have been very tied economically to those pigs. And 2,000 pigs in today's dollar would be somewhere between three hundred and five hundred thousand dollars and $500,000. Now, get that your mind around that. What these folks lost was up to a half a million dollars worth of assets because of this dude killing them. That's a real cost, isn't it? That's, that's a real cost. This is a huge loss to this community. It, it really was. It really was. It really actually was economically disastrous for this community. And I'm confident they were counting the cost. Luke 14, 28, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, which he, whether he has enough to complete it. They're counting the cost. 2,000 pigs, $400,000, all just to save one crazed lunatic. I'm out. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't have the right words. I really, I truly don't, but I don't know what else to say but crazy lunatic. This is a nutball. This is the worst of the worst. This is Jeffrey Dahmer on steroids. This is a bad dude. Is Jeffrey Dahmer's soul worth half a million dollars? Really? Is Dean's soul worth half a million dollars? Really? Is mine? Well, Jesus says, yeah, not even close to a comparison. So they say, depart. Please depart. They asked him to depart. They didn't understand the answer to these questions. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Like the rich young ruler like the one who wanted to go bury his father, like the one who 
valued his family too much to just leave. He had to go back and say goodbye to them. The cost was just too high. They didn't want him there. This region did not want the power of God that healed the demoniac as much as they wanted their pigs. You know, when Jesus performed a miracle in me, the men I used to hang out with did not want Jesus, not me, not me, Jesus, Jesus in me, my influence into their circle as much as they wanted to gamble and be drunk and chase women. So depart. Make sure there's not things that you're valuing more than you're valuing Jesus and you're not willing to pay those to be a Christian. I'm not saying that's not difficult. I'm not saying that's easy for a Christian. But I'm saying it's true of a Christian. We have the pearl of greatest price. And it isn't our bank accounts or our pigs. So he got into the boat and returned. They said, depart. Would you, asked him to depart. He got in the boat. He acquiesced, which seems strange, doesn't it? It also seems obvious to me that of all the folks that came out, not one of them stood up and said, no, no, I think that man's life is more worth it than those pigs. You have no testimony of that. Not one person. So he leaves. He goes back to Capernaum, back to Israel, away from this Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, never to return. Jesus will never return there in the flesh while he was here. He never returned. So that was the response of the masses in the country of the Gerasenes. They asked Jesus to leave. And Now let's consider the, the response of the former demoniac. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. Deomai, he pled, he asked, he begged, he implored. This man, this crazed lunatic, now self-controlled, humble, imperfect man, wants to be with Jesus. Well, who could blame him? Of course he'd want to be with Jesus. To learn more from him, to love and be loved by him, to serve him? After all, look what he had just had done for him. So he wants to be with him, which would, would be the expected response of a new convert, wouldn't it? So one who has believed into Jesus, they want to be with him. That would make perfectly good sense. Now, again, we don't have that reality. There is no flesh and blood Jesus in our lives. We obviously want to be near him. But but think about this guy, this person, this dude, this guy that got off the boat and did all this for me, and here I am, and now I'm saved. I want to be with him. It makes perfectly good sense. So clearly Jesus then added another person to his traveling party. So now it was the disciple, the 12 apostles, some ladies, and the crazy dude. Let's see. The man from the demons had gone, begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. <laughs> I'll acquiesce to you people telling me to depart. I'll even acquiesce to the demons saying, don't make us go to the abyss. 
But you, convert, go on. Who does that? Why would Jesus not allow him to go with? Saying, so Jesus said, depart, send him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Diego Mai, to inform, to relate, to tell fully, to provide detailed information in a systematic matter. You go back and explain very well in the city, in your home, exactly what God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I'm not going to spend time on that, but you know what's interesting? Jesus says, go tell him how much God has done for you. What does X crazy dude know? You're God. You're God. You go tell him what Jesus has done for me. It's really cool. In Mark's gospel, we see this. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he, crazy dude, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The Decapolis. The ten Gentile cities on the east and southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, that was ten Gentile cities. So Jesus tells him, you're not coming with me. I'm gone. I'm back over to Israel. I'm back to the west side. You go tell everybody about me. He goes to all these Gentile cities to tell about Jesus. Just kind of reminds me of the Ethiopian eunuch after he gets converted. And Philip, where does he go? He goes back to Africa. Well, there's no church there. Mm -mm, There's no church here either. You're going to go tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to go prepare the hearts of people. You're going to go preach the gospel and tell them what Christ can do for you. So, this was the task given to this new creation that Jesus left behind. It's the same ministry that you and I have been given. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Does, does this crazy dude fit this? Text? Was he a new creation? Clothes? Sober minded? Listening? Learning? The oldest passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ and God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of God. Can you imagine how many trespasses that dude had? Can you imagine how many sins he had committed? Well, he wasn't responsible. He was possessed. Completely responsible. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We employ on behalf of Christ. We reconciled to God. This crazy dude now had a job. His job was to go and he said go home. The guy goes home, but he goes all the cities of Decapolis. And spreads the word, the name of Christ. Closing thought. Two responses of the miraculous power of Jesus to save. One, the response of the Gentile Gerizines. They cared more more about their pigs, their wealth, than the son of the most high God delivering humans from demonic control. 
So he asked the Savior of souls to depart. That is one way people respond to the power, the miraculous power of Jesus to save. It seems crazy, but people actually say, depart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear it anymore. You all have people like that in your lives. I do. We must be faithful to continue to tell them of Christ. And they're going to keep saying depart unless God has mercy on them. Second response, the response of the former demoniac who sat at Jesus' feet and desired to go where he was going. And when King Jesus told him to stay and tell of the great things God had done for him, he did exactly that. How are you responding to the miracles of Jesus that are being done in your presence? Are you counting the costs and rather have your life as you know it than to have Jesus be king? Or are you believing on him, listening, learning, and then living for his sake? There's only really two responses in this text that we see. We see one that says depart, and we see one that's obedient. Are you being obedient or are you saying depart? Because as you count the cost, there's some pigs have some value. It is a great temptation for us. I think about Kenya. It's a, it's a different temptation for them, the thought of losing 2,000 pigs. And I know many Kenyans who will not give up the riches that they can obtain by using their pastorate to make a living. But in another way, it's just as tempting for us to care about our pigs, our wealth, a lot more than we care about this Christ who saves and living our lives in a way that serves him and loves him and brings him glory and promotes the very same gospel that we've believed. Don't don't miss what God has for us in this text today. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, I thank you, Father, that it is it is clear to us and you show us things that we ought to be considering and pondering what a great, merciful God you are that saves a, a crazed lunatic from the power of sin in our lives. And Father, that, that you, you show us that the value of one life is greater than the value of a half a million dollars worth of pigs. Help us to live consistent with these truths and these realities. You're a great God, and we love you. Amen. Let's stand and sing. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. It's on a handout, not in your hymnal. I love to tell the story.